Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out of Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are you? Doing well, doing well. As uh, every day the news gets grimmer and grimmer, I'm, I'm clinging on to the Six Nations at least being around the corner. Uh, delighted to be joined this week by Keith Tracy as well. Keith, how are things? Hey, lads, similarly clinging on to, with desperate hope, to sing Six Nations as well. Yeah, I know. There was a few articles this week about how games behind closed doors have been crap and all this. And I was just thinking, geez, they've been the best thing to happen in my life in, in about 12 months. Like, So I'll take it where I can get it. Uh, Keen, obviously, Six Nations launched today. I know you were you were so it's not there this year. It was all done virtually. And we, we'll get into that in a minute. But first, maybe we'll circle back to the game last weekend, Leinster-Munster. It had been kind of billed as, as a final trial for Andy Farrell ahead of the Six Nations squad selection. You know, from what you saw, quality-wise, did it make you confident about what Ireland can do over the next couple of weeks, or how do you how did you view it? Yeah, I wouldn't be overly confident about Ireland going into the Six Nations anyway, just to ring the tone down immediately. Uh, not that the game itself did anything to kind of to, to to necessarily do that. I just I just feel like France and England are operating on another level. But in terms of the game itself, yeah, it was definitely one that got away from a monster point of view. Um, like really, really disappointing having started so well. Like Leinster did what like all good teams do and pulled it out of fire. I didn't think Leinster were anywhere near their best. And while obviously lots of that was down to Munster, it was just like like same old kind of problems, really. You know, you look at the mix miss kicks from JJ Hanrahan, their discipline left them down. The line out, which actually has been has been pretty good this season was was very poor um you know it, it just feels like one step forward two steps back and you know Munster obviously went to the kicking game again and to be fair they got a lot of joy out of it like they absolutely haunted Jordan Armour to his credit like came up with a match winning try and was brilliant every time he got on the ball but I was just disappointed that there was no sense that, that there was never any sign that Munster were going to change it up and, and try something different. Now, I know the conditions were absolutely terrible, like it was snowing and all that. But even when you bring someone like Craig Casey on for, I think it was maybe seven or eight minutes at the end, and not to even try something different and getting him to play the exact same game plan when his box kicking isn't on the level of Connor Murray's, it, it, was, just a, it was just a bit disappointing, especially considering... 
like we've given Munster, I think, a lot of praises on this podcast this season with how they've played in the Pro 14. Like some of the rugby they've been played has been really, really exciting as well as as well as winning rugby. So you would kind of hope that they'd bring a little bit more of that when it kind of mattered most. But unfortunately, they did kind of revert to type. And while, you know, Johan van Graan will argue that it worked for most of the game, like it's the same old story, like Leinster still found a way to win. And like Munster are, it, there is a sense that Munster are closing the gap and I wouldn't like deny that at all. But to go 74 minutes of last season's Pro 14 final defeat without scoring and then to go last weekend 68 minutes without scoring against a team like Leinster, like that is, that's poor. Um, like I, I know JJ Anneren missed kicks in, in both games but I mean, like you just can't have stats like that against against a team like Leinster. So, yeah, it, it was a, definitely a deflating one from from a Munster point of view. But from a Leinster point of view, I suppose they did, yeah, what they had to do. I mean, I don't think Leinster are playing at their at their level. So to answer your question, nothing from the game would have given me any more optimism going into the Six Nations purely because I think France and England are just are definitely a far ahead of Ireland at the moment. Yeah, Luke, from a Munster perspective, like Ty Byrne after the game, definitely took a glass half full kind of approach. He, he was disappointed, but he said that he definitely thought the gap had closed and that he that Munster's performance had shown that like Leinster weren't this unbeatable team. I'm not sure what you make of the, the, that sentiment having watched the game and you know taking into account what Keane said regarding the time. They didn't like 68 minutes without a score, even though they, they did seem to have a lot of the game for long periods and put Leinster under a lot of pressure. But at the same time, Leinster probably had the best try scoring chances even aside from the try like there was two or three poachers on the line Munster never really got back into that situation for the rest of the game after their try early early doors like how, how do you read the game yeah like it was difficult conditions wasn't it I mean and um I thought you know I, I was there was lots of the positives of Munster's kind of performance I thought they were they were strong throughout like I will say that you know probably most of their good stuff though and this is maybe just an observation I think a lot of their good stuff might have come from Leinster mistakes so I thought the kicking game like I mean that was a real in for them and created pressure for them throughout and I'm not 100% sure they created an awful lot whereas I thought Leinster probably created a bit more than them just through their own endeavors you know through their own kind of you know when they had the ball they just looked a little bit more dangerous they were able to create a few more opportunities in the wide channels um, and that was probably the, re the like, I mean, the, the key part again, like it probably was, it was pretty tight. It was a tight enough game and it does come down to, you know, the missed kicks. I mean, like Johnny Sexton pops his over from a similar position just before half time. Changed the complexion of the game, really. Uh, Munster's still ahead, but, um, you know, it's a very different, it's, it, it Leinster when they attack now go ahead versus you know if it's if if JJ Hanrahan gets his kick they probably they might not first of all they might not get another opportunity to to get a score before half time but um leaving that aside even if they do get it they're still drawing and it's still very much a game and you know it, it's a bit more nerve-wracking um and I think the mindset might change Leinster might have gone for it a bit more versus kind of maybe sitting back a little bit at the end and just kind of happy to defend so yeah, like it was, it was. I really enjoyed it. Actually, I will say that it was probably one for the purists, but I did really enjoy it. And I thought, just in terms of just to tie in with Keane's to the the, the question you posed about you know, to, to Keane, I'd actually be quite positive about Ireland's chances going into this competition for a few reasons. I I really liked some of the 
ball playing amongst the forwards. I thought there was some really good stuff. I mean, Josh van der Fleer's pass out the back uh, to, to Ross Byrne was a lovely bit of play off a forward pass to him, I think. Um, that was really good stuff. Uh, that's stuff I want to see for, for the, you know, from, from the Irish team. Um, you know, I thought um, throughout the game, I thought Will Connors, I know he was in probably on my mind because we just spoke with him last week, but I was watching him fairly closely. I thought he looked really good, like really good. So much good, honest work. And, you know, his ball playing for a guy, you could see the sevens part in him that he was kind of, that we had referred to in the interview. But uh, I thought he was really good and it was good to see him in the squad. And, uh, you know, I actually think off the back of that, I might see a bit of him. So I, I, that was something I'm looking from the from the Irish forward pack to maybe do, because I just don't think they're going to be able to do the bish bash boom thing against uh, the English and French packs. I don't think that's going to work there. I think we've, that, we've shown that that's not going to work against those teams. So we need to be a little bit more creative in there. So I'm hoping they bring that in to, uh, to Six Nations. And I thought that some of the Munster forwards, I think Peter Mahoney was good. Uh, some nice ball handling as well. Thought he looked really, really sharp. Um, so I think that's the area, an area of the team very critical. I think that'll be good. Uh, just to tie back in with the Irish stuff, uh, Ty Furlong coming back in. Uh, you know that's that's a massive plus. Like at the height of his powers, he was the best tight, tight head in the world. Still might be, uh, pr- provided he comes back in in, in good shape. Um, and I think you know the schedule isn't great for France. I will say that. Uh, whilst their the home advantage might be a little bit mid, you know, reduced. Um, you know, they've got to come to us in the second game around, so they'll be a little bit probably rusty, I would think. Um, and also, I think England, uh, we play them at home in the last game, and that's a long time to be in these bubbles. Uh, and they're playing us at home, so I don't know, I, I feel a little bit more confident about Ireland's chances, and particularly when I saw some good stuff in some of the areas in difficult conditions that I think we really need to improve on. Probably for those three reasons, I'm actually. I'm, I'm, for the first time in a while, I'm quietly confident about Ireland. This one, I think they might actually have, have a good tournament. Yeah, I suppose every every kind of odd year we have the fixtures usually in our favour in terms of our two toughest matches traditionally being at home. And as he said, without crowds, it is mitigated somewhat. But but still, it, you know, you'd like to think that it'll play some part. Keen, I know the launch was today. Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton were there. Anything to be gleaned from that today in terms of the approach or their confidence levels or, or, you know, if you were even doing your body language kind of, you know, observing like or your Zoom body language, uh, like what was it like? Yeah, we've all become experts in body language. <laughs> and how Zoom. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very, very long day. These kind of days are, are strange anyway, because, I mean, it's just a matter of kind of you sitting in a huddle and waiting for every coach and captain to, to run through and, like in fairness, they're being asked probably the, mostly the same questions in every different huddle anyway. So I mean, they get pretty fed up of it as well. So most of the time, it, it depends on how early you get, you know, the particular coach and captain that you want to talk to. And I suppose uh, Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell were up for the dailies uh, first up, first thing this morning. But it was an absolute disaster of um, technical glitch. So. Hopefully that's not a sign of things to come for Ireland's Six Nations campaign. But um, yeah, look, th- there wasn't a whole pile, I mean, t- to be honest, in terms of like reading into things. Um, I suppose the one thing is we'll probably spin through a few of the injuries. Uh, like Luke said, Tyg Furlong, it sounds like, is going to play. Well, he is going to play for Leinster this weekend against the Scarlets, which is huge. I think James Lowe potentially could be in the mix as well. Uh, Johnny Sexton was saying that he hopes to train next week, potentially at the end of the week, but maybe more likely next week. So good to have him back. Um, 
Jacob Stockdale's out for the first two games with um, a bruised knee, I think it was. Um, and Ian Henderson is obviously still working his way back to fitness, who's still in the squad. So like that was kind of the gist of the immediate kind of pressing concerns, I guess. You know, when you look at the Ireland squad as a whole, there's a lot of fellas in that squad who are like short on game time. Um, you look at someone like Furlong, James Lowe, Henderson, Andrew Conway hasn't played since December 13th. So, like, it, it, it's interesting enough. Um, I thought... I, I, I thought it looked a bit imbalanced, if I'm being honest, in, in certain positions. I think that the, the, the props is is probably an interesting one. Um, one thing that Andy Farrell did kind of touch on today, which is something I'm pretty sure we've spoken about at length, is the potential of uh, Andrew Porter going back to, to Loosehead. Um, now, obviously, he's done a superb job since Furlong's been out injured and like Ireland have been pretty coy, and to be fair, Leinster have as well, because I guess they don't really want to mess with with Porter's head while he's kind of trying to do a job in the tight. But I've always got the impression that his long term future is is on the loose head side. Like that's where he played pretty much all of his underage rugby. He was outstanding for the Irish twenties there as well. And you look at the age profile of Keane Healy, it makes a lot of sense. And today was the first time. I think I've ever heard any Irish coach or Leinster coach pretty much say, yeah, like that is something that we are going to be potentially looking at. And I guess when you look up, look at the makeup of the squad with having only two recognised loose heads in it, in Healy, who's obviously towards the latter part of his career, and Dave Kilcoyne, who's another seriously short of game time. Um, and then on the other side, you've got Porter Furlong, who's short on game time, and Tom O'Toole, who obviously isn't always first choice with Ulster, who's is uncapped. So it's interesting. I think if if in an ideal world you get Furlong back, um, you know, potentially on the bench for for the Wales game, you'd imagine, and it'll be interesting to see. I think throughout the Six Nations, if uh, Porter does get some minutes on the loose head side, because I think all things being equal, if if you're looking at the World Cup in 2023. I think an ideal Irish front row is going to have Andrew Porter at loosehead and Tyg Furlong at tighthead. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, it's an interesting one because Porter obviously would have played loosehead on the under-20s team that got to the World Cup final in 2016. But as a professional, it's been entirely a tighthead. And, you know, while he has experience in the number one jersey, is it a seamless switch back? Finley Bielham really struggled with it in, in the Autumn Nations Cup when he was kind of Pull back on that side, so that'll be that'll be an interesting one to watch. In terms of squad selections, Luke, scrum half was an interesting one. No Luke McGrath, no John Cooney, Jameson Gibson Park in there, along with uh, Craig Casey and Connor Murray. Um, you know, I suppose maybe Andy Farrell's taken the approach of having one veteran kind of starter in Connor Murray. He's picked one out of the kind of the guys just below him, and then opted for Craig Casey, someone to maybe learn and come along and get experience rather than having maybe two guys of a similar level in like a Cooney and, and a Gibson Park or a, or a McGrath and Gibson Park. Yeah, like I think we can read too much into this one. I think you're absolutely right, Will. I think the simplest solution is generally the right one, isn't it? And I think that's what he's done. It looks like that, uh, smells like that. I believe it is that. He's basically picked the, the two nine slots already and he wants Casey in. Uh, to be kind of to to learn his kind of trade a little bit and be around the, the the team because in fairness he looks like a really quality operator so uh, that's probably what I think that is I think it'll be very disappointing for Luke McGrath who I thought was very good 
uh, on the weekend. He got a few tellings off from Johnny Sexton, which I think actually made it look like he had played worse than he did. I actually thought he was excellent throughout. Um, I thought, um, you know, I think, look, John Cooney's been playing very well. I mean, there was a little blip there where he wasn't getting picked, but I think that was probably the wrong decision, to be honest. And he looks like he's been playing very well since. Um, so he'll be very disappointed, as will Luke. And I think um, rightly so. Uh, but I think that one looks uh, exactly like it is, Will. And um, probably no surprises, really, at the moment. They're probably both the incumbents in terms of being in the team. And both haven't done much wrong since the last... Uh, I suppose, round of games with, with, with the team. Um, so, yeah, look, no surprises for me there, really, bar Casey, I suppose. But I think that makes sense because he he's learned this trade a little bit still. Yeah, do you think, would there have been merit to do that at out half? You know, they, they've gone with Johnny Sexton, Ross Byrne, Billy Burns. They might be doing that, Will. <laughs> got no choice. Like, that's the biggest risk factor to my mind. Seriously, I, I'm a little bit worried about Hooker uh, and maybe who fills in next to to James Ryan. But other than that, I think the team is that they actually have everyone fit for once. The real issue is can Johnny Sexton last the Six Nations and, you know, the fact that we haven't developed someone behind him. So that's the biggest risk for this team still. Yeah, Keane, because just on like Johnny Sexton and his recent injury, like this season since the rugby return or since actually the new season officially started, like he limped off against the Dragons. Wales, Munster at the weekend. He had to withdraw from the Montpellier game with a dead leg. That's four matches where he was either replaced during it or missed out from with like a lower limb kind of soft tissue injury. He also picked up a concussion against Comet, which, you know, kind of a freak incident. So I won't really lump that one in the same boat. But that's four matches. It does raise questions on his durability. You know, he hates kind of this kind of narrative. But when, you, when this happens and you see him kind of walking off, shaking his head with another kind of tweak, injury you have to ask questions about whether he can last a full campaign yeah of course you do and like i mean the guy is 35 like you know you have to call a spade a spade and you know of course he won't like the narrative and you know he was talking about it again today and to be fair like he he did kind of roll back and say that he is taking it like campaign by campaign and for once it, it didn't sound like the actual cliched version that that's just the situation he's in i mean he's out of contract at the end of the season it sounds like it's it's going to be renewed but like it goes back to the same problem that no one has put their hand up to take his position. And that is part of the problem. Um, you look at Ross Byrne, like he's looked like a totally different player when he's gone into an Irish jersey compared to what he does at Leinster. You look at like him coming off the bench the other night and the impact he had in creating the try and bisecting the post with the, the touchline conversion. We just haven't really seen en en enough of that from him. Now, I suppose you could argue, has he been given enough chances? And that's fair enough as well but I guess like Joey Carberry stepped up his return from injury this week and while like no one will be getting ahead of themselves in terms of that it still is very early days like that is hugely encouraging considering like he's just been a footnote in Munster's injury notes for the last you know the last year basically and the province have like understandably been very reluctant to say much about him but to see him being photographed out in training and he looked like he was, you know, it wasn't just that he was doing bits of kicking. They could see him involved in a ruck there at one point as well. So that's hugely encouraging. And I think, you know, he is still the obvious one. I mean, where everyone's going to hope that he comes back and he can still play to that level. But if he can, then he is still by far and away, I think all things being equal ahead of the likes of Ross Byrne and Billy Burns and Jack Carty. But just to touch on your point about Craig Casey, I think, like it's very frustrating when like 
social media is a bad place to to kind of judge things in general but it does with, with no crowds and stuff it gives you a flavor of what like supporters are thinking and yeah, it is really disappointing for like the likes of Cooney and Luke McGrath. And it should be mentioned, Kieran Marmion should be mentioned in that conversation as well, not to be in the squad. But people want to see new players. Like we're talking about the out half situation and like where's the young guys coming through. Now you have Craig Casey, who's been playing very well for Munster this season. And I just wish people would focus more on the fact that it's positive to see an uncapped 21 year old scrum half who has the potential to put pressure on Connor Murray. I think, you know, Harry Byrne might have been in there in a similar situation, but he, he just hasn't played, unfortunately. He picked up that injury in the Northampton game. And this is actually something I was asking Andy Farrell about today because it was interesting. He didn't name any development players. And I think that, that's been a really good system that he's done. I know Joe Schmidt used to invite players in as well, but like that was under cloak and dagger half the time. You didn't know who was in training. But if you look at Farrell since he's come in last year, generally he's tried to bring a couple of uncapped guys in Will Connors was one of them at one point Tom O'Toole was one and Craig Casey was one and you look at the progress that those guys have made now so it shows that that system is working and you know maybe there was you know stricter protocols around you know the, the bubbles and stuff like that that he couldn't bring in those extra three or four players but I think it's hugely positive to see someone like Craig Casey in the squad when for so long we are looking for you know these fresh young blood to be introduced yeah, look, like how how beneficial will is it for to, to kind of be in the squad as a young player? Maybe not be like playing, say, like all the time. You might get a a, a cameo off the bench, say against Italy, maybe another game, versus maybe just being with your province and just starting week in week out over the same period and getting the reps there. Like, is it is it as beneficial to be in the Ireland camp with the great players, learning from them, learning from the coaches, or for your development? Would you just rather be playing for your province, even if it's the Pro 14, where some of the games? you know, realistically, isn't the, str- the most strenuous of tests. I know, look, I think the combination is definitely the best thing. You know, you train with the guys week in, week out, and you go back to the provinces and you still get the game time. The game time is is very, very important too, but you do need to know, you need, need to put the game time in context maybe, is, is if that's the right way of framing it, um, because there is a big difference and a big jump when you go up to playing with all the best people in the league you know, against in, in each respective country. That's because that's essentially what Irish camp is, you know. So um, that that's, to my mind, it, it contextualizes that and it gives you a framework to go, right, okay, well, I'm here now. I can see from training that that's where I probably need to be. Well, now I've got all these games to try and get there. And, and, and you know, I've got all these training sessions with the guys to try and up the skills, learn more. But now this is where I need to implement it if I want to get in there and be one of these guys and, and get into the in, into the team and perform. Um, so I think the combination is the key thing, Will. And that's probably, you know, that's, that's probably the, the system really, isn't it? They send those guys back. Obviously, it might not be during this period, which will be disappointing for them. But I still think the learning is very valuable to be in there amongst them. Um and yeah look it is good to see him in there like look if he's not going to pick Luke McGrath and John Cooney regardless of whether I agree or disagree with that um you know he should have someone else in there in that case uh, and Casey while I think he probably is still a little bit away from competing to actually get in that you know the, the starting slot or the slot just behind him on the bench I think if he you know he if he has a chance to be picked in the near future he should definitely be in there ahead of the other two because I just think he's so far, it looks like he's not going to pick either one. So what's the point in having him in the camp? I can't, I'm, I'm not making comment on whether I think whether I agree or disagree. 
I probably disagree if I'm being honest, but that's probably the lay of the land. And that's probably why I think, you know, if, if from, from Farrell's perspective, who thinks obviously different to me about the backs or that, that nine uh, slot, you know, I can see his, his, his rationale or I'm assuming that's his rationale. Just, just on that though, it, it's interesting that like Gibson Park for me is the interesting one because I totally agree with you, Luke. I thought um, Luke McGrath was outstanding against uh, Munster. Uh, he had that one poor box kick, but like he was a real spark to to get Leinster back into that game. You think of the quick tap penalties and stuff, and like it was interesting. Leinster went back to Luke McGrath as their first choice from half, so. You can see Farrell's thinking and why he has Craig Casey in the squad. Because again, I agree with Luke. I think he is still a bit off, you know, starting scrum half in a Six Nations game. But like, it's great to get him in for that experience with building to the future. But Gibson Park is is an interesting one. If he's now deemed the second choice scrum half in Leinster, you know, and you have first choice scrum halves in Connacht and Ulster and Leinster now who are being overlooked too. So it's interesting to try and get into his his mind and. You know, he's spoken at length about what he likes about Gibson Park um, in terms of the energy and the tempo that he gives you off that bench. But I mean, it's it's hard. Like, would you say that the likes of Luke McGrath or John Cooney doesn't do that as well? So I think it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and it's funny, like, you know, there's six halfbacks in the squad. Three of them don't start week in, week out. You know, Ross Byrne and the two nines, uh, Craig Casey and James Gibson Park, like they, you know, play, they play well when they get the chance, but they don't actually start. And they're, they're 50% of the halfbacks in the squad, which is interesting. Uh, another thing that I saw was talked about today, Keen was Paul O'Connell, uh, Johnny Sexton, and Andy Farrow weighing in on it. We haven't actually really discussed it at all. Um, I forgot to talk about it the week it happened. So we might get to it now. Uh, interesting to get a little more insight into what Andy Farrell is expecting from him, how it came about. Um, what, what can you tell us about what, what they were saying today? Uh, yes, like I think it's a great move first and foremost. I mean, you can imagine how excited. I mean, players like someone like James Ryan, who would have grown up watching Paul O'Connell, how good it's going to be to be able to be coached by him. So Paul O'Connell was in camp last year for the week of the England game. Now at the time, it looked like he was just you know going in, you know, giving advice to people, and he, as far as I know, he wasn't actually doing any coaching per se. But now, in hindsight, it probably seems like, you know, it was a little bit of a trial to see how he, you know, liked the setup. It's It's been a bit of a U-turn, I suppose, from him after saying that, you know, he found the coaching pretty stressful, being away from his family, having, you know, played for so long. And, like, he's about to go into a bubble now for however many weeks and will be away from his family again. But... Yeah, like Farrell says, like was saying today, how he's always kept a very close um, relationship with O'Connell. That the two of them would regularly be in contact, and you can imagine them, like you know, two really smart guys would would really bounce ideas off each other. Like his role isn't necessarily just confined to the lineout. There's obviously been a shift in the the coaching staff, which is worth sort of touching on, I guess, as well. So Simon Easterby who was kind of double jobbing last year, which again, in hindsight, seemed a bit mad that he was doing the kind of line stuff as well as defence, considering how important the defence role has become in modern rugby. So Simon Easterby has taken over defence with obviously Farrell having a say in that and O'Connell is forwards coach with John Fogarty as scrum coach. So, I mean, obviously one of his main things, O'Connell's main things will be the line out and considering how poor Ireland's line out was and, 
like I was writing about this in Monday's paper, like the, the lineouts in Irish rugby haven't been great really for the last while. Like it's an area Leinster have struggled in as well. I know it wasn't, it was pretty solid um, on Saturday against Munster. Besides Con- the crooked one that actually won them the game. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was a, a shocker <laughs> that that was missed by the touch judge. The touch judge who was leaning was his right head over the <laughs> <laughs> the touch judge who was leaning his head to the right to see how far it had sailed right but um but yeah, Connacht... the angle on the tv to the camera <laughs> <laughs> but um Connacht's lineout has been really poor this season Munster's lineout was very poor against Leinster so there's a bit of work to be done and you know go back to the the personnel I think Hooker has become a bit of a problem position for Ireland as well like I mean Rob Herring is, is going to start. For me, he's not the long-term answer at all. Nothing against the guy. He's probably the most consistent and reliable line-out thrower, but I just don't think he offers you much at all around the pitch, and I don't think you can get away with that in, in modern rugby as a hooker. So, yeah, O'Connell's got a lot of work to do. I, I imagine he'll be doing lots of work around the breakdown. You know, it's not just going to be line-out, but, I mean, as far as kind of immediate tasks go, you'd imagine the line-out will be something that will keep him occupied for, for long enough anyway over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Luke, because it's, it's interesting on a few fronts. One, that I suppose Andy Farr recognised the need to beef up the coaching staff. It had been a, maybe a talking point whether he needed another voice in there, you know, after a tough first year. And then obviously someone of the stature of Paul O'Connell coming in, as Keane said, who had mentioned in the past that he didn't know if coaching was for him. This is a different role international versus club in terms of the, the time commitment, I guess. It's it's more intense and short bursts, I'd imagine, versus the kind of the steady stream of intensity of a club season. You know, wh- what are your thoughts on it? I, I, I'm really excited by, by the... the but, I suppose would you say acquisition? I don't know if that's the right word, but like of them, I suppose getting Paulie in, in, into the into the setup. I think I like everything about the guy. Uh, probably biased on that front. I mean, um, I, I can't like I, I think the the narrowing up of his role from say you know a, a, a more wider remit as a coach. Um, I think will really suit him, particularly at this stage. I think it's somewhere where he can really kind of grow in confidence because it's an area as Keane highlighted. It's been a big concern and it's an area where he can have a huge impact on the team straight away. He's part of the reason why I think Ireland will have a very good Six Nations. I really do. I'm backing him to have a big impact. I will say uh, to, to caveat that, that I and I highlighted it earlier on, um, you know, who partners James Ryan and the hooker position for me they they are the two concerns outside of the biggest concern of Johnny Sexton and can he last the pace and who's who, who comes in instead of him. Those two are problem areas for Ireland at the moment. And um, look, I, I think they might it might be an area where if someone like Paul can bring, you know, bring a fresh perspective, uh, bring maybe a little bit more impetus to it. And perhaps it could be an area where Ireland really build from and grow very, very confident again from. I mean, they're fucking still doing this thing where they're kicking, well, Lancer seems to be a bit of where they're kicking to the corner. Like, if they can become a real force from there, um, and they can, you know, whether that's from a driving mall, whether it's from just guaranteed line-out ball, whether it's from a little bit more creativity there, it could be, it could really lift this team, and it could take them somewhere where uh, I think that they have the potential to go, which is to be, you know, back at the top table and, and possibly winning this thing. So, I, I'm hoping he has the impact that we all, I think, and dangerously so, expect him to have. But I think he's got the quality to do it. So um, I'm excited to see him have a big impact. I think he will. 
Yeah, well, if it leads to more driving miles in the corner, I'm gonna just—I'm <laughs> gonna turn off the TV. Uh, I'm, it is just it, the it, most. It's I, so important the kicks are on the weekend. I—I uh, I, I don't get the tactic, but like I think there's a good. Like, if you're gonna play Murray, it means that you're gonna be playing probably a slightly slower game, more tactical. I think it brings in the uh, the, the lineouts more into it, the set piece. Uh, having Tyke Furlong back and having Paul O'Connell in, if they can sort it out, you know, this team built uh, its success, you know, kind of 17-18 from a really, really strong lineout. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's where we get back to again. It'll be interesting to see, I think, what kind of impact. I know, I know I mentioned someone like James Ryan, who's on the younger side of the scale, but I'm very interested to see if he can maybe take Ian Henderson's game to, to another level because... Like he's a guy who on form is like absolutely top class, but he kind of like goes up and down in terms of his consistency levels. And I think if Paul O'Connell, you know, they obviously would have played together as well. I think if Paul O'Connell can get that bit of consistency out of him, like that would be a huge, huge plus for for Ireland. Because like I said, on his day, Ian Henderson is an absolutely top class player. Would you pick him ahead of Ty Byrne on form? No, I think on, on form, I think Ty Byrne absolutely starts. I, I don't think there's any question. He won 100% merits to start against Wales. But I think, like, all things being equal and everyone fit in, and in form, whatever, I think um, Farrell's first-choice second-row partnership is still James Ryan and Ian Henderson. But, I mean, if, if Ty Byrne does start against Wales, which I imagine he probably will, then it's a massive chance for him to lay down a marker, particularly, like, now that you have a new coach to impress as well because like Farrell will still pick the team at the end of the day but you can imagine Paul O'Connell will be having a major say in in who gets picked in the forwards and that was one of the reasons why he left Stade Francais early because that wasn't happening I can't see that happening in in Ireland camp under Farrell Mm. and just on the topic of second rows while we're here just it was announced before we started recording Luke that uh, Ulster signed Leone Nakawara for next season the former Racing 92 European Player of the Year now he's with Glasgow um, it, an interesting move obviously someone that could see him money he's been freed up and, and they've opted to do it money burning in our pocket <laughs> bringing supporters in the gates <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> uh, look I think it's a kind of an odd one Will um, I wasn't aware of it until you guys kind of mentioned it prior but um, uh, I, I don't he, I don't think he's the answer for them I don't think that I think they had been building something like a really solid hard working pack Um Maybe he's the spark. I don't think so, though. Uh, I, I would have rather seen the money go to to uh, someone like a bit of a grittier kind of signing, um, or two, or two really good ones, uh, if that was possible. Or they throw, they try and entice another one from from one of the provinces up uh, into a back row slot. A a a I don't know. Is Jack like I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but is Jack Conan one of those guys now who maybe is behind Caelan Doris? Like he is a stud of a player to my, to my, like in my opinion. Josh Murphy's a class player. Um, you know, I suppose Witcherly's good. Does he start every week? Um, I don't know. I, I wonder would they have tried to get a really solid guy and like a really good, in, you know, international kind of signing, and then you know use the extra dough to try and get it like entice up a, a another Irish guy and really beef up their back row. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. The jury's out on that one. I mean, clearly he's an exciting player. But is he the answer for them? Don't know. Well, well, it's interesting because at the moment, like they have Ian Henderson, obviously at second row. They have Sam Carter, the Australian. Now, I'm not sure he was signed on a multi-year deal, so I'm not sure if his contract is up or if he's is replacing he him. Good? Because 
I, I haven't. No, I, well, I was going to say he hasn't been playing very well in the games I've seen him, and he was he's captained them as well, which I thought uh, was quite maybe surprising. He's, uh, maybe he's a good leader. He could be like one of those kind of signings, but I haven't mm. seen anything to to suggest that he should be the big overseas signing. That was, yeah, well, if you're benchmarking him against like Wallaby, like you know Scott Fardy, Fardy say who plays, yeah. yeah, like if that's no comparison. Yeah. The, the irony of signing Akarawa now though is like he's like a cliched bums on seats kind of player, but no one can pay to go in the gate <laughs> to, to get this to get this to get this seat. It's guy. Yeah. but but I do like I mean. Like it's worth kind of sort of pointing out as well that like I think like I'm right in saying that he might have been sacked by Rassing as well because he went back to Fiji and just never like, came back for training and stuff. So like Dan McFarland has worked with him at Glasgow, so I'm sure he knows like what kind of guy he is. But you don't want to be bringing someone in who's a bit of a, a head case as well. But I mean, my glass would definitely be more half full to have to get to see a player like that will be really exciting. But it's it's also worth pointing out, he's done very, very little since he's come back to Glasgow the second time. I know he hasn't played much, but even when he did, well, I think he's 32 now, you'd hope he'd be 33 still, by the end, by the time he comes to Ulster. Yeah, like, I mean, you, you, I mean, it's still a good signing, but I do agree with Luke in that um, if you're looking to replace Kutsia, like, I think you need a bit more of grunt and a bit more of a, a ball carrier. Now, obviously, Nakarawa is a, a ball player and he will carry ball, but... I still think they're going to be light in, in that back row if they don't get a big age. They, well, it was funny. They miss a fetcher. They miss a fetch. They need it. They, like, so they've got two things with him to fill. They've got the carrying side, which is you know pretty hard to replace. But I think what might even be even harder to replace is his ability over the ball. Mm. Like, they're two huge parts. I mean, is he is he a two or three turnover, like a, you know, a game guy? I think he probably is. Um, the guaranteed, you know, pretty much guaranteed... Um, you know, gain line. Is he that guy? I don't know. I'm not fits the mold for this Ulster pack, Will. I don't know. Like, what do you think, Will? I mean, you, well, like... just in terms of ball carrying, I saw someone t- tweeted a gif of him carrying against Ulster last January, and Michael Larry, the smallest man on the pitch, dumb tackles him back in the zara. So <laughs> I, I hope uh, he brings a bit more heft with the ball in hand when, when he arrives. But as you say, perhaps this is just part of the puzzle, and that maybe one of those Leinster back rows who, who might who mightn't be. Uh, there, you know, it's very crowded up there, especially Max if Max Deegan, Deegan, Max Deegan he gets back fit again. There might be an option there to add. So, you know, you might be adding two great players to replace yeah. someone like could see who's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, just before we wrap up, Keen, we might, might t- chat a bit about what you were writing about today in the paper, which I thought was a good piece about just the bubble in general for these players as they go into this six, seven week period. Already you've had Joe Mark or who's pulled out, you know, he's pulled out obviously of international rugby before for various reasons. And, and Matteo, Matteo Minosi, who I suppose was kind of honest about it, that he's just not like mentally in the right place to go in in terms of, I don't think he, he doesn't think he can face it. Now maybe playing for Italy, I suppose it might be a bit more demoralizing <laughs> than playing if you're playing for England or, or, or France or something. But but it does show the highlight that it's a unique time. And while we were saying we're, we're really holding out for the Six Nations and we can't wait to watch it, there is unusual difficulties uh, this year that that wouldn't even be there in other years yeah for sure like i mean it was something that was asked across the board by pretty much every coach and captain today and like everyone sort of empathized with the, the two guys who've, who've dropped out i mean it's interesting they're both like like minazzi is what 24 and marler is 30 like a lines like regular english prop but for very different reasons for for dropping out i think i think marler's wife is maybe pregnant um, and Minotti, like you said, just didn't feel like he he had it up to him to go in. So, yeah, like there's a lot of issues going on for people, like for every single person in the world right now, obviously. But rugby players are no are no, are no different to that. Um, 
And I guess the point of my piece was, like, imagine someone like Johnny Sexton, and he spoke very well about it, actually, and the piece will be in tomorrow's paper, about, you know, what it would be like for him. Like, he had to say goodbye to his kids um, this morning, and it was as if he was going away in a World Cup or a Lions store. He might not see them for two months. Now, as, like, the emotional kind of side of that is one thing, but you're also leaving your wife with, I think, Johnny Sexton might have three or four kids at home, on their own, like, there's the homeschooling, thing and all that kind of thing so while it's great for us to be able to see the six nations there are a lot of guys i think who are, are going to make big personal sacrifices because the the protocols around the bubbles have really really been reinforced and especially on the back of france you know threatening the whole thing that they wanted to see extra measures brought in so you think about it like there's a lot of hours to fill and Luke will be able to speak about this much more than me outside of the rugby stuff when you go into camp like how how boring like is it going to, a lot of the time going to be I was and, very productive at my time Kim series that was left unwatched <laughs> yeah I wonder how considering we've all been watching series for the last year I wonder how quickly that will get old so I think there's a big onus on like coaches and you know backroom staff keeping this thing fresh because eight weeks is a long time when you're still at home per se. It's not like you're in Japan at a World Cup and you're you're away from home anyway. And like even something small like being able to sleep in your own bed and things like that, you know, a couple of nights a week. Like again, Luke will know much more about this than than me. Like it, it's going to be tricky, and it's that that was the point of the piece. Like I said, it's worth remembering that I guess professional rugby players aren't immune to life's daily pressures. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's uh, I'm I hadn't had a chance to read the piece, game, but great angle, and it, it it tied in. I made the point earlier on about England having to come over to us here in the last um like the last game of the championship i i just feel like it's gonna be uncomfortable like it's gonna be you know awkward coming over like they probably won't be able to leave the hotel over here as well uh you know the, i just think that be everyone would be exhausted at that stage if they're if the bubbles remain if the matches still go ahead um and i'm that's why i <laughs> i know i'm going off topic but it's why another reason why i think ireland will win which is what i said at the, at the start i just think england in the last game is when you want them i think it might be just one hurdle too far for for everyone uh, at that point and being the home team you know uh, you know still be a little bit more comfortable here i just feel it might give us a slight edge and i just think it's a great point i mean the family commitments outside us loads of people have kids i mean johnny is probably Weird enough, although there's a big crew of the Sextons, um, you know, Laura actually is a teacher. Um, so he actually might be one of the people who might be reasonably, you know, well positioned um, to, 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 or she might be well positioned to actually keep people at home. The homeschooling thing seems to be like drive people up the wall. You know, it's really, really hard. It gives you a newfound respect for teachers and what they're doing in there and how important they are in terms of their roles. Uh, to, to society but uh, yeah it, it's going to be a huge ask for people and um, I'm not surprised it was a bit daunting for some people I am surprised that people pulled out um, and didn't try and find a solution whether that's get you know one of your parents to come in like you only have you know if you're lucky you have you know five of these six nations at the height of your career if you if you have you know if you get any more than that you know you're absolutely blessed and you just have such a short period in your life when you can go in and do this um 
it's not an easy decision between family and that, but I think I'd be probably spending the money on getting someone to come in and help out or getting your family to come in and, and, and live with the with the crew for a few weeks to try and offload the pressure because you never get a chance to do this again. The earning like that you get during this period if you're successful in the team is massive for your family going forward. So I can't say that my thinking might be the same as everyone else's, but I'm surprised that people did pull out on that basis. Um but certainly not, everyone won't think the same about that and everyone won't be, I suppose, in the same uh, headspace as I would be on, on this one, you know. So, look, it's 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 challenging for everyone. I'm delighted we're getting some rugby, though, and um, I think it's making for a really exciting championship, but Ireland having a big chance of, of coming away with one. Just a quick point on that, just, sorry, Will. I, 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 that, that's, that's the point, I guess, like, every player who goes into the bubble, like, has their own sort of situation going on at home, and that was the point of the piece that, like, everyone should be free to kind of make up their decision that suits their needs. Like, I mean, just just a final point on it. If you look at, like, two guys like um, Bundyaki and Keen Healy, like, I believe that they've re- their partners have recently just had newborn kids. Like, it's very, very tough, I'd imagine, for them to now leave at such a, like, crucial kind of early stage of, you know, a kid's life. And they're the kind of things that I think we should be just remembering, you know, in all of this. And I'm the same as Luke. Like, I can't wait to see the rugby going on. But, people, like, these players and the backroom staff are making sacrifices along the way. And I know sympathy from the general public will be in short supply because, you know, everyone is going through issues. But it's just worth remembering that they're not immune to the meter. No, definitely. It's a worthwhile point as we head into the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, get to see the full championship. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, definitely worth remembering that there's a lot, there's a lot going on for everyone at the moment. Anyway, in the meantime, Luke Keane, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, Will. Cheers, Cheers Keane. Thanks. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on Independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>